Good morning, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I welcome you here to South Park Church today. Uh, as Pastor Nancy said, we're going to be talking about something very important this morning, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching or listening to our podcast uh, as we explore uh, some very important things together. This past week uh, was a special meeting of the General Conference of the United Methodist Church. We are a United Methodist congregation. The General Conference is the international decision-making body for our entire denomination. This was a special call to General Conference to deal specifically with what the church says and thinks uh, and acts in regards towards human sexuality. And so what I'd like to do today is to talk about what happened there, uh, what the decisions were that were made. I'd like to talk about uh, the scriptures that they were based upon and how people read the same scriptures differently. And then I'd like to talk about what we as a congregation a local congregation are going to do about it, how we're going to respond. We can't control the denomination, but we can control how we treat one another. And so uh, if that's fair with you, that's what I'd like to do this morning. Uh, it's not my intent to change your mind about uh, human sexuality. I don't think that I could if I tried. I think we, we have people who think differently about that. The question is, can we coexist together? Can we move forward as a local congregation together, agreeing to disagree and, and loving all people? That is the issue that's before us, and that's ultimately where this conversation is going to go. But before we dive into that, I'd just like to say to you one thing. God loves you. God loves each and every one of you. God loves you if you are gay, uh, if you're a lesbian, if you're transgender, if you're bisexual, if you're queer, God loves you. God loves you if you were hurt through the decisions of this general conference. God loves you if you're a heterosexual. God loves you if you identify your gender based upon uh, the, the uh, male or female anatomy that you were born with. God loves you if you think that the general conference made the right decision. God loves each and every one of us no matter what, and that will never change. So I want you to turn to someone right now and just say, God loves you. God loves you. If you remember nothing else in this sermon, I want you to remember that God loves you. God loves you no matter what, no matter what our denomination says, no matter what our church says, no matter what I say today, God loves you. And that is the most important thing that you can walk away with today. Amen. I just want you to think about, and I'm guessing that each and every one of us today uh, knows someone uh, who uh, identifies with the LGBTQ uh, plus, right, uh, in the homosexual lifestyle. And that those people in our lives that we care about them. And I'm guessing that we also have people in our lives who are heterosexuals and think that that's the only way that we're supposed to be and that we love those folks as well. And I just want you to imagine uh, and think about in our conversations and your conversations that, that all those folks are, are in the room because they are, because we are, and we're here today. And I need to be real clear about who I am. I, I, in speaking for God today, bring my own bias, my own background, my own history, right? I, I am a mixture of lots of things. I'm a mixture of conservative thought. I'm a mixture of moderate thought. I'm a mixture of liberal thought. If you were to ask me if I'm a conservative or liberal, I'd probably say, yes, I'm conservative in some things. I'm liberal in others. I was raised that uh, 
heterosexuality is, is the way to go, that I am a male because I was born with male body parts. And there are many people in my life that I love, family members and friends who are heterosexuals and think that is the only way that, that we're supposed to be. I also have friends and family members who are LGBTQ+, plus, uh, and they love people uh, who are same gender, and they love them very well. Right? When um, I was educated in a very small uh, Christian university for my undergraduate studies, I went to uh, learn to be a pastor uh, in divinity school at a large university, probably one of the most liberal universities in all the world. And so I have all of that inside of me. And again, I have many people, friends and family, conservative, heterosexuality is the one and the only way to go. My two best friends in divinity school when I was learning to be a pastor who were actually my housemates my last year in divinity school, one, was, one is a gay man and one is a bisexual woman. The man who taught me how to preach uh, was a gay pastor and he the way that he read scripture was that he thought he needed to be celibate. And that's the way that he lived his life. I have friends who are raising transgender children. Uh, I, when I was a single adult, was attracted to a woman who was attracted to me and uh, found out that she was a lesbian. We were attracted to one another. We began a dating relationship. We really cared for and loved one another, but that did not work out. Because ultimately, she just could not be with a man in terms of marriage and moving forward. That hurt me very deeply. Not her decision, but the fact that I couldn't be with her. So all that to say, just like you, I bring all sorts of things to this discussion. And so I just would encourage all of us to be in loving openness to one another and what we bring to the table today. So General Conference was this past week. Again, General Conference is the international decision-making body of the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church. It meets every four years to deal with all sorts of issues. But this was a special meeting outside of the every four-year pattern, and it was to deal specifically with human sexuality. Now, before General Conference, the stance in the United Methodist Church has, has always been the same, and that is this, that uh, all people are of sacred worth and value to God. Everyone is welcome in our churches, United Methodist churches, um, and that homosexuality, though, is incompatible with Christian teaching in the Bible, and so we are not allowed to ordain homosexual candidates to be ministers, and we're not allowed to perform marriages for folks who are homosexual. So that's the United Methodist stance. It's, it's been that way since the beginning. Uh, most recently, there are churches and pastors and annual conferences who are ordaining uh, gay people. There are, are uh, pastors who've been doing weddings, uh, and the rules have not always been enforced. And so uh, the bishops, all of our bishops got together. They sent uh, some recommendations to the general conference to consider. Again, these are 100, uh, 864 delegates from all around the world who came uh, to make these decisions uh, and what they ultimately ended up doing was they affirmed what's called the traditional plan, where they, we keep the language the same about homosexuality that I just, I just shared with you, uh, and then added to that more accountability that we need to enforce that. Uh, the General Conference also uh, passed a bill, if you will, a motion, uh, giving churches permission to leave the denomination, but it's going to cost a lot of money for them to be able to do that. 
uh, did some stuff with the pensions of the pastors, whether they stay or go, that sort of thing. Uh, and all this was passed this week. Now, there are a lot of questions about whether or not uh, any of this stuff is constitutional according to the United Methodist Constitution. So it's now going to go to our version of the Supreme Court of the United Methodist Church, and they're going to meet in April, and they're going to decide whether or not any of this stuff is constitutional or not. So we're still kind of in a waiting period to see what that means and, and what happens from that. Now, in the deliberations, I watched some of this online. It was live streamed, and there were some really good Christian conversations but there was a lot of stuff from all sides, uh, some very hurtful things said. So I just want to apologize to, to all of us who have been hurt by the actions of the General Conference and the delegates that were there. Uh, I'm truly sorry for the pain that has caused all of us in some form or fashion. Uh, and so that, that's just the reality of it. Now, General Conference is getting ready to happen again next year in the every four-year kind of cycle. So who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, what um, One thing to note is that a lot of the international vote was conservative, and that aligned with some of the conservative folks in the United States, and that carried the day. Um, I was kind of disappointed to see how some of the international delegates were treated. They were treated as in kind of colonial terms that, you know, you poor folks who live outside of America just aren't as, as enlightened as we are. Uh, but then there were some international delegates that, that pretty much said that, that we're morons in the U.S. And so just all sides, it was, it, it, there was some ugly, ugly stuff going on. But the reality is the international church is growing while the American church is shrinking. So the international vote is going to carry further than the American vote. So or is the American church ever going to separate from the world church? I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see what happens. So that's what happened. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff yet to come. Our bishop's going to meet with the people of uh, the Metro District. That's the Charlotte District next Sunday afternoon. I think that's an open meeting for clergy. It's also an open meeting for anyone to come. So I'm gonna, Nancy and I are going to go to that. We're going to hear what they have to say, what the bishop has to say about how it affects us as we wait until April when they, the Judicial Council meets. So decisions have been made. There's still a lot of stuff up in the air, and that, that's caused a lot of anxiety. Uh, and again, I'm sorry for all of the pain that it's causing to, to everyone who, who is involved in this. And, and that's you and me and, and all of us. Um, you know, in some ways, nothing's really changed in, in, in the language of the United Methodist Church. But it feels like something has really shifted, hasn't it, um, in a major way. And I've been trying to think about why that is and why, why this is such a line in the sand for, for people on all sides of, of, of what's going on. And... I would say for the LGBTQ community that it's such a line in the sand because for our brothers and sisters who identify in that way, that this is more than an issue. This is an identity. You're saying to me that there's something flawed with me because of, of who I fall in love with. You're saying to me that, that I'm sinful because I'm following my heart and and, and don't say that you love the sinner and hate the sin because I don't see myself as a sinner. This is who I am. This is who I believe God made me to be. And, and, this is, and, and I love people that I love. I can't help it. And it's a social rights issue. It's a, it's a, it's a justice issue. Uh, we should be able to be married in Methodist churches. We should be able to be ordained. And so that's why it's so important to us. It's an issue of identity. And, and then I understand also uh, it's a line in the sand for folks who interpret scriptures in a traditional way. And, you know, guys, I just got to say the labels of traditional and progressive and, and all this, I, I hate those things because there's traditionals who are progressive, progressive who are traditional, but I know we have to talk about it. And so if I'm using labels today that, that irritate you, know that they irritate me. 
Um, and, and But the folks who interpret Scripture traditionally, thinking that Scripture says that you know marriage is between a, a man and a woman, and, and that's what it says, and, and not beyond that, the, the challenge for, for us traditionalists is that right, we're worried about the erosion of the authority of Scripture. And if we continue to let the culture dictate where we're going as a church, then we're selling out to the Bible. Right? And at some point, we've got to stand up and say, enough's enough. And so I think, from my perspective, that explains to me why this is such a powerful and, and an emotional and, 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 and a line in the sand that all kinds of folks are are drawing. And so, to me, that's, that's kind of where we are. So I think the next step is, well, what does the Bible really say? And so I'd like to take you through a crash course of, of the Scripture uh, and look at what the Bible has to say and, and how different people view the same passages of Scripture differently because I think that's at the heart of a lot of what's going on. So uh, let's dive into that. We're going to begin uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. This is right after God has created the world. He's created Adam and Eve, the first humans. Uh, he's called them to, to be fruitful and multiply and create uh, families. This is what uh, Genesis 2, 24 through 25 says. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Right? So uh, one way to interpret this is it, it says what it says. God created man. God created woman. They are to lead together, to lead their own families, to come, to be married and have children it's a heterosexual world. It's, it's the way God has intended. This is gospel truth in the book of Genesis. Now, another interpretation would be, yeah, that is absolutely part of the story. We're glad God did that with Adam and Eve. We know it takes a sperm and an egg to create life, but that's not the complete story. There's additional kinds of love. There's homosexual kinds of love. And so this is only a part of the story. So now we continue on in the book of Genesis. We're going to jump ahead to a man named Lot, who's a man, uh, who's a man of God. And uh, he is in the city called Sodom. He's there with his family. God has sent two angels to come and visit with Lot. They don't look like angels. They look like normal men. So two men uh, are, are here with Lot. And uh, there are these angels. Uh, and this is what happens in the city of Sodom. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, all the men in the, in the whole community there surrounded the house of Lot. And they called out to him and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Now, in the Bible, to know somebody is to have sex with them. Okay, so where are those two, where are those men that are staying with you, Lot? Right? We, want to, we want to see them, bring them out because we want to have sex with them. Okay, so an interpretation of this is, it's sex is not the issue. It's, it's an issue of rape and dominance. The men of the city, the boys of the city of Sodom, they're not interested in having sex with these guys for sex's sake. They are strangers. They're invading their territory. We're going to show them who's boss here. We're going to show them who is the boss and, and who is not, who has dominion, who does not. They're not welcome here. And so we're going to degrade them. And, and the way that we think we can degrade them the most is to rape them. And so it's about power. It's about rape. It's about dominion. It's not about a, heteros, a, a homosexual, loving, monogamous relationship, right? It's completely different. And folks who interpret it this way also would say, be careful what scripture you use against homosexuality. Because you know what happens next in the story of Lot? 
Lot comes out to all the men and the boys who want to who want to rape these strangers that are staying with him. And he says, no, I can't give you these men. I can't give you these men. But here, take my daughters and you can rape them. You can have sex with them. Do whatever you want to these girls, my girls. Right. That's what the man of God says. So be careful when you quote this passage of Scripture against homosexuality, right? Because we all could probably argue, hopefully, that giving our daughters to be gang raped by entire town is not cool. So be careful how you use this Scripture. And yet another interpretation is it's clear the men of this city want to have sex with other men, right? And that, the Bible says, is wrong. Same passage of Scripture, different ways to interpret it. Next, we're going to go to the book of Leviticus, and we're going to read a couple of laws from the law of Moses. It's the Old Testament. God gave Moses the law, said, I want you and the people of Israel to follow this. There's 613 commands. We're going to read a couple of those commands right now in the book of Leviticus. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death, and their blood is upon them. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So here, some would say, it's very clear. This is not a rape thing. This is not a domination thing. This is a sexual thing. If you do this, right? if you do this, then it goes against God. An interpretation of that would be, well, yeah, it says that. But it also says, you know, 611 other things. And we don't follow all the things of the Old Testament. We don't follow all of the laws of the Old Testament anymore. It says in the Old Testament that God's people are not supposed to charge interest to other of God's people who borrow money from them. We don't do that in our country. If Christians didn't charge Christians in the banking industry, the mortgage industry interest, do you know what would happen to our economy? It would destroy itself. It would be completely gone. Right? There's things in the Old Testament that we don't follow anymore says in the Old Testament that today in worship, I should stand up here and you should bring me goats and bulls and rams and I should chop them up and sacrifice them to God and sprinkle blood all over you. But I'm not going to do that today. right? And so it says there's things in the Old Testament that we don't do anymore. Now, another interpretation is, well, that's true, but there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament, in the laws of Moses, that we still do today. We don't steal. We are not supposed to commit adultery. We're supposed to honor our parents. We're supposed to observe the Sabbath and to keep that holy, right? We're just supposed to take care of the poor. We're supposed to welcome the foreigners, right? Are you going to tell me that we don't have to do that stuff anymore? So there is stuff in the Old Testament that we need to do, and these passages are included with that. Same Scripture, different ways of interpreting it or coming at the Scripture. So let's leave the Old Testament because we're not Old Testament people. Right? That's only part of our story. We're New Testament people. We're the New Covenant. Jesus came to give us a New Covenant that fulfills the Old Testament. Right? So what does the New Testament say? Most of what the New Testament has to say about homosexuality comes to us from the Apostle Paul, who was a church planter, a pastor in the first century. He started a lot of churches. He wrote a lot of them letters, pastoral letters, and that makes up most of the New Testament. So what we read in the New Testament about homosexuality comes to us from Paul. And so let's see what Paul has to say. In his first letter to the church in Corinth, he says this, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Right? In 1 Timothy verse 1, chapter 1, verses 8-11, through 11, it says the same thing. Okay, I've got it here so you can read that, but the, the words here, sodomites, 
referring to uh, homosexual uh, practices for men, especially, uh, it says that keeps us away from God. Right? Now, an interpretation of this uh, would be that it's not, it's not talking specifically about homosexual love, but it's, it's talking more about there was a Greco-Roman practice in the first century, Greco meaning Greek, Roman meaning Roman. The Greeks and the Romans set the culture in those times. There was a Greco-Roman practice called pederasty that was very common uh, where men would have sexual relationships with young boys, with uh, adolescent boys. And so uh, a lot of folks say that's what this is talking about. That's that's what this is talking about. Don't take it out of context. Uh, And also say, do, do you see the word before sodomite? It's fornicator. Do you know what a fornicator is? It's anyone who has sex outside of marriage. So that's full-blown sex, that's oral sex, that's manual stimulation of your partner kind of sex, any kind of sex outside of marriage. Now, Jesus, who we're going to get to in just a minute, also adds that if you look at someone with lust in your heart that you want to have sex with them and they're not your spouse, then that's just as bad, right? So you know what that means? That means we're all in trouble, doesn't it? We're all in trouble. If you look at the word fornicator, we've all been there in some form or fashion. And so be careful how you quote that scripture. Of course, then uh, an interpretation is it says it clearly, right? Sodomites, meaning the Greek underneath that, back to homosexual. Don't try to spin it any other way. It says what it says. We continue with Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals. This is basically they're worshiping idols, and they're having sex while they're doing it. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. So an interpretation here would be, Paul's not talking about a committed monogamous homosexual relationship. He's talking about people who are having sex to honor idols, uh, and it's women and women, men and men, uh, and they've left their heterosexual life to go to a homosexual life. And so it's not the same as what's happening in the 21st century in, in America. And others would read it and say, that's very clear. It's talking about women having sex with women, men having sex with men, as not being according to God's will. So that's Paul. What about Jesus? Jesus, the only thing that it really says is when he talks about marriage in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Some Pharisees, some religious leaders came to him and said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And then he quotes that passage from Genesis that we read where a man leaves his uh, parents to go and marry the wife, and they are together in marriage. They have children. It's the same verse that we read in, in the book of Genesis. So when it comes to marriage, the only citation that we have from Jesus or citations in the New Testament are whenever he talks about marriage, it's between a man and a woman. When it comes to homosexuality uh, itself, Jesus is silent. Right? And so his silence leaves us room to try to interpret that. Some would say Jesus doesn't have a problem with it. He doesn't have an issue with it. 
If Jesus had an issue with it, he would have said something about it because Jesus says a lot and he has a a lot of issues with a lot of things and he talks about it. If Jesus was against homosexuality, he would have made it crystal clear. Of course, then the opposite of that is, well, Jesus doesn't have to say anything. The scriptures have already said it, right? If God, if Jesus had intended for people to be homosexual and that was the way that he created them, that's the way that he wanted the lifestyle to be, then he would have clearly said, this is who you are. This is acceptable. This is what I want you to be, right? But Jesus in thousands of years of scripture says absolutely nothing affirming a homosexual lifestyle. So the absence of what Jesus has to say is interpreted in different ways from different people. Now, I think we can really boil this down to kind of a big picture way of interpreting Scripture. Some folks think that some Scripture is cultural. There were things that were in the Bible that were addressed to the people of the Old Testament or to the first century of the New Testament that don't apply to the 21st century because we're a different culture. Says in the Bible, says Paul says, in some cases, women should be silent in the churches. And yet we have a, an ordained female pastor, Pastor Nancy, in our congregation. Right? So we're going against what Paul says when he says that women should not speak in church. Paul also says in certain places, slaves obey your masters. Right? In 21st century Christian America, we don't ad- advocate anybody obeying their master. Right? No slaves obey any master. Right? So it's a cultural thing, and the same thing is true of sexuality. So that's one way of interpreting the Bible is through a cultural lens. But then another way of interpreting it is, is through a theological lens. That there's some things that are not cultural. They're, they're just of God, no matter what time or era you live in, and that sexuality is one of those. And, and yes... Paul says in some cases, women should be silent in the church. In other cases, women are in the churches that Paul started, worshiping with Paul, praying out loud, prophesying out loud, speaking in tongues out loud. They're leading beside Paul out loud. In Galatians, Paul says in Christ, there's neither male nor female. So Paul does go against the culture that saw women as second-class citizens. And yet Paul says in some cases that slaves should obey their masters because they don't want Christians to be rabble-rousers and and get into the trouble. But in the book of Philemon, Paul talks to a guy who owns a slave, and he says, this is a brother in Christ, and I really wish you would let him go. Let him go. No longer be a servant to you. And so Paul is pushing back against his culture. Again, in Galatians, there's neither Greek nor... uh, uh, Gentile or Jew, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Nowhere does Paul affirm homosexuality. So it's not a cultural thing. It's a theological, like, ongoing thing, regardless of culture. So there we have it. We have different minds about the same scripture. Don't really see that changing. So the question is, right, what are we going to do about it as a church? And I I know some of you have come to me on all sides of of the issue saying we're thinking about leaving the church, especially after the decision that was just made. I'm gay. I have gay friends. I have gay family. How can I be in a denomination that does not fully include them? I love you, Kyle. I love Pastor Nancy. I love Kevin. I love the church. But, you know, I'm thinking about leaving. And others who are conservative saying, you know, why aren't we applauding the general conference and saying this is the greatest thing ever. They stood up for scripture. They stood up for authority. You know what? You know, I'm thinking about leaving the church. And so I would just say if you're thinking about leaving the church, that, that, would, that pains me. So I love you and I will miss you. And what I'd like to ask you to do is to, is, is to give it some time. 
to take a time, uh, it's like a time out and, and let the, the initial reaction of our emotions give it some time to play itself out. Let's see what the general conference does. Let's, let's see what the judicial council does. Let's see what, what comes up. But more importantly, let's see what South Park Church does. How do we respond to each other? How do we love each other through this when we clearly agree to disagree, right? We, we're, we're, we're all over the board on this. Right? And so give yourself six months. And if you're thinking about leaving, don't, don't just like sneak off. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Nancy. Talk to Kevin. Talk to Cole. Talk to some of our staff. Talk to our leadership team. They're, they're here, they're lead, here their names. Uh, they'd love to connect with you. We want to listen. We're going to have some town hall meetings. Right? We've got a long way to go. The dust has got to settle. Right? So just give it some time and let's see how we as a local church respond to this. Now, I would be remiss if I was the leader of this church and I didn't tell you where I am on the issue. Because leaders lead, and sometimes we have to be uncomfortable, and we have to, we have to say the truth for how we understand the truth and, and, and just to put it out there. So I'm going to tell you where I am. And I, just, I want you to listen to me, hear me out through the whole thing, because I guarantee you right now I'm probably going to offend and disappoint every one of you sitting in this room. Because it's complicated, what I believe. And I just want to speak from where I am, and just please hear me out. I think from a biblical, scriptural perspective that the scriptures are clear. I I come down on the traditional side of this. I think if you read the scriptures, I think what the scriptures say to us is that God's will is for marriage to be between a man and a woman. That, that's what the scriptures say. That's how I interpret them. I, I, think that, I think that it's clear. I think that's what it says. At the same time, how many scriptures actually talk about it? We, we just, we looked at them, right? This is a handful. How many scriptures are in the Bible that talk about loving each other, even when we're different? How many scriptures are in the Bible that talk about being unified in Jesus Christ? There are hundreds, if not thousands of scriptures that God teaches us to be loving and accepting and not judging of one another. There's hundreds of of scriptures that say we should be unified in Jesus together. And to me, that is, is critically, critically important. It's critically important that we are unified and that we love each other and that we welcome everyone. And so as the pastor of this church, I will welcome anyone who feels led to come here. Whether you're gay or straight or black or white or rich or poor or young or old, a Democrat or a Republican or an independent, God loves you and there's a place for you in our congregation. God loves you. And by the way, I don't think it's my job to be the sex police, okay? I don't think that's my job. Thanks be to God. That's not my job. I got enough problems in my own life, right? That's not my job. I am not your judge. So, so what I'm telling you is that in my life, I live in, in, in a tension. I think the scripture says one thing in one area, but, but then other scripture says that we've got to be loving and welcoming and, and that we've got to be full of grace. And so I'm kind of living in this, in this tension. And, and, and that's where I'm guessing I'm inviting you to come in. I've talked about this with the staff and I was talking about it with Kevin. And uh, he had a great illustration I want to share with you. He, he got out a rubber band. He said, the way I've heard of Kylie says, it's like the rubber band on, on one side of the rubber band is, is God's truth, that we're all creating God's image, uh, that we all fall short of God's glory. 
story, the other side of the rubber band is God's grace, that, that God loves us anyway. It's, and he gives us unmerited favor, right? He, he does things for us that we don't deserve. He died on the cross for us. He came back to life so that we can live life to the full now and forever in the kingdom of, of God, right? So we've got God's truth on one side. We've got God's um, grace on the other side. By themselves, they're kind of wimpy and floating around, it looks like, right? Uh, but grace and truth, when they go together, right, they stretch each other. They stretch each other. And, and so, uh, and, and in that stretching, Right? They stay together, they stay unified, and in the stretching, they become stronger. They need each other. Right? So, so that's what I'm asking you to consider doing. Right? That's what I'm asking you to consider as a congregation, is, is to take God's truth as you see it. God's truth, well, God's truth is God's truth. We're going to see it a different way. But, but if you think God's truth is heterosexual, lifestyle only, then show people who think differently some grace. Can be not their judge, right? If you think that it, it, God's will is absolute full inclusion, and you know that there are people in our congregation who totally disagree with that, show them some grace. And in our in our tension, we will be stronger together. We will be unified together, and that is a vision that the world needs right now, my brothers and sisters. So what? So what are you asking? So what are you teaching? So what? I'm asking you to love each other in the tension, right? Love each other in the tension. And I think that we can do that in several ways. I think one thing is, if you don't condone, don't condemn. If you don't condone a homosexual lifestyle, don't condemn someone to hell because that's not your job. If you don't condone someone who says that heterosexual lifestyle is the only way, if you disagree with that because it's not inclusive, don't condemn. Right? Not all people who believe that heterosexuality is the only way, they're, they're not all, we're not all homophobic. We don't all hate people who are gay. We don't all fear them. We don't all, we don't all want to withhold their civil rights, right? So if we don't condone don't condemn. I think another thing that we can do is see each other as people and not problems to fix. Right? It's not my job to say, well, you believe in homosexuality, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fix you. Or you believe in you know, heterosexuality only, well, I'm going to fix you. Right? See each other as people and, and don't try to fix each other. Right? That, if there's any fixing that needs doing, that's, that's up to God. That's not up to us. And, and maybe it would help us by focusing on how we see ourselves. What's our, what's our primary identity? Are we gay or straight, male or female, rich or poor, black or white? Who are we? The Bible teaches us that our primary identity is that we are in Jesus Christ and that he is Lord. And that I am in Christ and I happen to be a heterosexual. I happen to be a white man. I happen to be a, a male, right? I am in Christ. I happen to be homosexual. I happen to be transgender. I happen to be a woman. I happen to be an African-American, right? Our main identity is in Jesus. Everything else is secondary. But what, you know what I saw going on at the General Conference? You know what I see going on in the world of politics out in the world? Is we're heterosexual first and Christian second. We're homosexual first and Christian second. And that's why we're in such a big mess. We're not unified in Jesus Christ first. That doesn't mean that we disagree and that we don't get our feelings hurt and that we don't need to struggle with this. But if we were to see ourselves as God's people first and everything else secondary, I think it would really change the ways that we treat each other. And the last thing I think we can do is that we can stay together. 
we can stay together as a congregation. I, I, I was reading a, uh, an article in the Charlotte Observer this week, our hometown paper, right? Charlotte Observer, March 1st, a couple of days ago, article about the General Conference from an outsider's perspective. It said the General Conference of the United Methodist Church is no different than any of the politics that are going on in America. Right in Washington, D.C., and Raleigh, where the Democrats and Republicans get together. They disagree on everything. Uh, they disagree on capital punishment, disagree on abortion, disagree on gun control, disagree on everything. And they bring the politics in, and it gets nasty. That's exactly what happened at General Conference. Right? And, and so what's happening now, whenever we disagree with people, we divide. Right? I'm going to be with people who think like me. Right? I'm going to be with white people. I'm going to be with heterosexual people. I'm going to be with people who like guns. I'm going to be with people who don't like guns. Right? So we separate. And, and our nation is so polarized. In my short life, I've never seen anything so polarized. We hate each other. It's us against them. There's no we in America anymore. Right? And it's, it's becoming like that in our churches. And that's what breaks my heart. Will Willimon, who, who wrote in, uh, in part of this article in The Observer, he's a, he's a bishop from the United Methodist Church. He said, he said, church is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be where people who are different come together for one reason, and that's Jesus is Lord. It's where people who don't like each other come together, and they do life together. That's called church, people. right? And by the way, it, 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 if you think that separating and being apart from people who think differently than you is the way to go, I think we're all going to be really disappointed when we get to heaven. Because when we get to heaven, there are going to be people there who don't think like we do, who don't look like us, right? The only thing we might have in common with them is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if you think separating is the answer, I'm not sure that we're going to be really ready for heaven. Now, if your conscience moves you to do that, I understand that, and I'm not, and I'm not going to judge you. But what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that our world needs a different example. Our world needs a different model. We need to show the world that we can love each other and we can come together and we can agree to disagree on everything with the exception that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus holds us together and we can show the world what it means to love each other. Now, some people say there'll never be a church that can do that. There'll never be a denomination that can do that. You know what? A lot of people said that we could never take a 20-year-old, or a church that's been declining in membership for 20 years, losing half the church, a slowly dying church named Sharon United Methodist Church and breathe new life into it. People said, you can never do that. A lot of people said to us, you could never relaunch your church to be relevant to the South Park community like it was to the Sharon community. You can never, like, you're never going to tear down your buildings and, and rebuild a, a, a new campus. You're never going to change your name. You're never going to be able to go to a movie theater and do worship while you rebuild the campus. You'll never change your structure. You can never make all those changes to be more relevant to a community. You can just never do that. You know what I've learned in the seven years of being your pastor? We are great at doing what people tell us we can never do. Amen. And so when they tell us you can never be a church where people disagree, you know, in a major way, you can never be a church and hold it together in unity. I say we can. And I say we can hold that tension. I say that Jesus holds us in this tension and that we can show the world that it is possible. We can love each other through this, brothers and sisters. I got an email this week from a lady in our church whose small group met right after the general conference made its decision. 
a lot of folks were upset. They wanted to talk about it. They were in their life group meeting in, in the homes of one of, our, one of our church families. And she said, Pastor Kyle, there were people in our group who were ultra conservative and they were happy. There were people in our church, in, in our small group, they were ultra uh, liberal and inclusive and they were so sad and wrecked. And there were a lot of people in between and we talked about it and we debated and we still don't agree. We're never going to agree. But what we did agree on is that we love each other. We love Jesus and we're not going anywhere. We want to be the church of Jesus Christ together. Brothers and sisters, that's what I'm asking you to do is, is to live in the tension. I don't have all the answers right now. I think we're going to have to do a lot of talking and praying and figure that out. But if we can't be the church, what hope is there for the world? If we can't be the church in the local, local area, local church, then what hope is there? What hope is there for the world? We, we've got to give the world a different example. We've got to give the world Jesus because it needs it so much. It needs him so much. A couple more passages of Scripture. Jesus says in John 13, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And then in John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. For God so loved the world, gay, straight, black, white, young, old, right? God so loved the world. I invite you to get out the communion packet that you were handed when you came in this morning. Because I think this is what it's all about. I think that when Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did this for all of us and we are all welcome. Brothers and sisters, the body of Jesus Christ for us. And after that, he took a cup of wine and he took it. And he blessed it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many so that your sins may be forgiven. As often as you do this, remember me. This symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, all of us. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that you understand what it means to be in tension. You are 100% God and 100% human. I don't know how that can be, Lord, but it sure sounds intense to me. Lord, in this difficult time in the life of our nation, in this difficult time in the life of our church, there are people who are hurting. There are people who are scared. There are people who are worried. And we need to know that you are Lord. We ask, God, that you would help us to do things that folks say we can never do. We can never be a church that truly welcomes everyone and figures out a way to get along with each other even when we disagree about things as, as important as what we've been talking about, human sexuality. So, God, if we're hurting, please heal us. If we need to speak the truth to folks in our own way, let us speak that truth, God. But let us stand in the tension of your truth and your grace. Let us show grace to one another, God. Help us to, to stand up to the world and show them a different, better way. And then that way is unified in you. Help us to love all people here, God, knowing that you are our Lord. Help us to love each other in the tension. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.